0: Now welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. If you are a pre-med student and don't already listen to the pre-med years, the MCAT podcast, the MCAT Cars podcast, the old pre meds podcast, or any of the other episodes that I have or podcasts that I have for pre-med students, I highly suggest you go check them out at mededmedia.com or premedpodcast.com now that I have that domain as well. Today, I have a great podcast episode for you. I have Dr. Jacqueline Moline on the podcast, an occupational medicine specialist, and we have a great conversation about occupational medicine. Number one, because it's really cool and she was a great guest, but number two, because I have a really big interest in occupational medicine because that's what I did in the Air Force for five years. As a former Air Force flight surgeon, what I was doing day in and day out was occupational medicine, taking care of firefighters, police officers, pilots, air traffic controllers, it's a lot of occupational medicine, as well as the mechanics who work on the planes, the, the people who paint the planes, and so much more. So I had a great discussion with Dr. Moline all about her job and what she does. We start the conversation by talking about what got her interested in occupational medicine to begin with.
1: Honestly, it was during my internal medicine residency program. Um, I did my—I didn't know about the specialty when I was in in medical school, and um, I happened to do an internal medicine training program where there was occupational medicine. And there were two ways I learned about the field. One is my closest friend in residency uh, decided to go into the specialty. Mm-hmm. So I heard more about it from her. And then I also got to know some of the amazing faculty um, who were doing occupational medicine during my internal medicine program um, because that was a – it was occupational medicine – was located within the Department of Medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, I did my internal medicine program at Yale. And so that's the way their program is structured. And in other programs, it's structured somewhat differently in different departments. So I had a opportunity to rotate through to meet with faculty and um, thought that this would be a career choice that uh, would appeal to me. So let's
0: rewind a little bit and actually explain what occupational medicine is, because my assumption is that 90% of the people listening to this have no idea what occupational medicine is.
1: Which sounds like me in medical school. <laughs> and, um, and occupational medicine is a discipline that deals with really how the work environment can affect health. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really a um, uh, global type of specialty in the sense that um, you have to be have an understanding of what the person does, what the hazards might be at the workplace, and also an understanding of medicine to understand how the body's going to be affected. and 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 I came up with a tagline that I'm happy to share with the listeners, which is occupational medicine cares about not just the what's, but the why's. So I can treat your what's. If I'm an internist, I'm going to be primarily concerned with the what. What disease do you have? How can I treat you? How can I make you better? How can we ameliorate it? In occupational medicine, I deal with the what, which is I can treat you. But I also want to know, why do you have this? Yeah. What can I do that to identify what might be causing it? And I think the best way to explain it would be to take a condition like asthma. So you have an adult presenting to you with um, new onset or, or a sudden exacerbation of their asthma when they, maybe they had childhood asthma and haven't had it for 25 or 30 years. The first question I'm going to ask is, what are you exposed to now that you weren't exposed to before that might be causing something? And and the likely place would be, what are you exposed to at work? Yep. So, I can treat your asthma, I can give you the appropriate inhalers or whatever medications you might need, but I'm also concerned in identifying why do you have it. Because if I can identify why you have it, if we can work in a way to avoid that exposure, then you don't have asthma anymore, you won't have those symptoms and you don't need those medications and have potential complications.
0: Yeah. yeah, And for the listeners who know a little bit of my backstory, as a flight surgeon in the Air Force, we deal with occupational medicine all the time. We're you going and evaluating the, the mechanics where they're working on the planes and, and the paint shops where they're dealing with all these chemicals. And it's like, why do you have this rash? Did you guys order something new that I don't know about? Um, and so occupational medicine then- is fun.
1: And the reason that your specialty and my specialty are very closely aligned is because we're both part of the world of preventive medicine. Yeah. And in fact, our boards come from the American College of Preventive Medicine or the American Board of Preventive Medicine and Occupational Medicine is a specialty within preventive medicine. Because if you identify the hazard, you can prevent it, maybe not in an individual who's had an exposure who's come and gone, but going forward, you can certainly make see if you can um make it so that it isn't worse. And um, certainly for others, you can prevent them from getting sick.
0: Yeah. And it seems like only those in preventive medicine don't call it preventative medicine. So that's a, a plus one for us.
1: <laughs> that's that's true. And that's one of my, you know, try to make those little grammatical changes whenever I can. Yes, but,
0: I do all the time.
1: Go with the flow. Yes. So let's talk about
0: what was it about? Right. You have this friend who's exposing you to it and, and talking about it, and and you're you're being exposed to it through your internal medicine residency. I think a lot of people go, well, I'm already in this residency. I'll just I'll just continue my residency and go live my life. What do you think was the draw for you that made you go and do another residency?
1: So, you know, it, it's a residency slash fellowship. And the reason occupational medicine is called a residency is because technically you only need to do an internship and then you can join a program yeah. and uh, and get the two years of training. Um, or it could be called a fellowship if you had done three years of training in internal medicine or family medicine. But the reason I wanted to get the additional training is I, I wanted to learn more about things that I I didn't know enough about things like toxicology, things like epidemiology, things like medical care organization. And, you know, occupational medicine is so vast that you could have many different roles and you could have a policy role. You could be um, working to help foster new policies in the federal or state government. You could work for a large corporation. You could be in academia. You could work in a clinical practice and do clinical occupational medicine all the time. Um, But I wanted to have an underpinning where I really got to know how to take an occupational history and practice that. And that was not something that you have time for in internal medicine because there were so many other demands on our time.
0: What traits do you think lead to someone being a good occupational medicine physician?
1: Curiosity, in a way where you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, often you're like a detective, mm-hmm. and it's uh, going back to um, being really curious and just asking questions and 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 having an open mind. And and I'm sure. Most listeners will say, "Well, I have an open mind," but you know, many times we're making decisions right away when we see a patient. Yeah. But when it comes to a patient coming to see me, I have to listen and I have to keep probing and probing. And you know, let me give you an example. I saw a woman who was referred into me um, because she had a lot of abdominal complaints, and and a colleague. Knew at one point I was doing a lot of research on lead and and had an interest in, in lead exposure. Mm. So she had, um, so he said, could it be, there's some renovations going on in a building adjacent to hers. Could it be that she has lead poisoning? And it didn't seem particularly likely, but I was willing to see her and evaluate her. And we got to talking and I kept probing because the lead exposure was not real because what was being done next door to her had nothing to do with lead. But it turned out that she had had renovations in her apartment, but she also had an ongoing leak and she had a mold exposure. And so I said, fix the mold exposure. You shouldn't be exposed to mold on an ongoing basis. And lo and behold, a lot of her abdominal symptoms went away. Not know if I can explain exactly why that happened, but if I had just said, well, it's not lead, move on, then Mm -hmm. we would have never gotten to the fact that she had some other things that were potentially affecting her health. And the minute that she addressed that, she felt better.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the the types of patients that you're seeing. So uh, potentially random symptoms that can't be explained. What other types of patients are you seeing day in and day out as an occupational medicine specialist?
1: So, you know, occupational medicine is such a broad field, and I've said that a couple of times already yep. in this podcast. But so I'm in academic occupational medicine. So, I have um, uh, and I have a more specialized practice now I see a lot of folks who've had asbestos exposure and okay. it has a disease uh, you know patients were exposed maybe 30, 40, 50 60 years prior, mm. maybe not so long and then they develop a asbestos- related disease or they've had the exposure and we monitor their health to make sure they don't develop disease. But I've also looked at folks who've had mold exposure. I've had people who've had heavy metal exposures, whether it was folks who were exposed to cadmium because they were doing a specific type of welding, or they were plumbers and they were exposed to hot molten molten lead from when they were doing some soldering of, of pipes, to folks who have had asthma, to manufacturing folks who are exposed to various chemicals, to painters who are exposed to solvents. Um, I was based in New York City for many years, and so I had a uniquely New York type of exposure where we were doing, we did a study on the health effects of theatrical smoke on actors on Broadway um, to see if that was impacting their voice um, and any health effects related to the special effects that are used on stage, um, looked at wood preservatives to see if that causes cancer, done studies on um, firefighters looking to see it increased rates of cancer. One of the things that I've been ta- doing for the last 18 years is uh, monitoring the health of folks exposed after 9-11 uh, at the World Trade Center site. Um, some people in my field see more ER ER-type urgent care things where they may see people who have slips, trips, and falls at work, where they may have uh, something in their eye. Some of the more traditional kind of urgent care problems, I've taken care of folks that have repetitive strain injury from overuse of the computer or whether they're a court stenographer or when they used to have to punch tickets on a train and they had to use that repetitively and they had problems with their thumb. I mean, so you can see it's this vast variety of different types of um, clinical scenarios that people could um, encounter and the, the thing I love about occupational medicine is that I never know what kind of exposure I'm going to be encountering through my patients, meaning they're going to come to me and it may be that they have a unique exposure and we have to look and see what it could be and what they were exposed to and um, and how that might be impacting their health. Well, let's
0: talk about if, if a future internal medicine or future uh, family practice doc is listening to this going, well, I... Like in, in my training, I'll be able to, to treat someone who is exposed to asbestos or lead or any of these other things you're talking about. Why, why do we need this specialty? What would you say to him or her?
1: What I would say is that um, you're not going to be well-versed necessarily in the regulations that are going to be the underpinnings for what? what's the lead standard? If you know someone's exposed to lead in the workplace, how often should you be monitoring their health? What is mandated? Let's say someone's lead poisoned. Do you know what the rules are in terms of when they can go back to work? What does their lead level need to be? If they're exposed to asbestos, do you know what you should be looking out for in a on a regular basis and how you should be screening. Are there any regulatory requirements depending on their job that you have to fulfill? Do they have workers' compensation and are you treating them according to the guidelines that might be present in your state if there are guidelines in your state? So I I think... do you have time to take the full history to figure out what's going on with someone who's presenting, rather than just treating them? And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but you know, I, I spend about eighty percent of my time or more talking to the patient to figure out what's going on with them, and then the exam part is usually much shorter, and uh, the test ordering and, and results, because for me, taking the history and starting with all their different exposures to get a true understanding of what they do is really critical.
0: Yeah, there's so much more, as you talked about the the different standards. And uh, again, I know as a flight surgeon, we were the occupational medicine docs for the firefighters on the base, and we had to know all the NFPA guidelines and what they could or couldn't have.
1: Who's going to even know the half the acronyms that that (laughs) you and I could start spewing out? And I tried to stay away from them. But, you know, it's It's the, every discipline has its acronyms and occupational medicine, uh, you know, I, I I've had folks call me and say, I I don't know how to even begin to do this. And I'm like, that's not a problem. Send them to me for this. I'll take care of it and I'll send them. And then, you know, they're going to follow up with you in primary care because that's where they should be going, but we can work in tandem so that, you know, I can send, I can make a suggestion and, and, uh, and then you can follow through if it's something related to their primary care or think about, and, and when I'm teaching medical students, what I, I always think about is you have a patient comes to you with high blood pressure and, and if you're going to treat them, the first line treatment might be giving them a diuretic. Mm. which is a great drug and they're inexpensive. And so that works on most people's budgets. But did you ask what they do for a living? Mm -hmm. Because when they come back in two weeks and their blood pressure is still not under control and they say to you, well, doc, um, you never asked what I did for a living. And they say, I'm a taxi driver. There's no way I can take a diuretic because I can't stop to find a bathroom. (laughs) Well,
0: here's a condom, Cath. you can put on.
1: Right, exactly. Here's a fireman's friend or yep. whatever a motorman's friend it's called <laughs> but uh, but in in all seriousness, it's like do you have expertise yeah. to be able to tell when are you thinking in those terms? Are you thinking about what hobbies someone might do? yeah, that could be impacting their health because you know the exposures might be the same. it's just the 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 location is different, so if it's in your home, we consider it environmental exposure if it's. Uh, if it's at the workplace, we call it occupational exposure, but it's really a continuum, which is why the specialty is usually called occupational and environmental medicine.
0: Yeah. One one story that always sticks out to me uh, as a as a flight surgeon taking care of a, a firefighter was uh, a random, uh, like a, just an annual uh, checkup and uh, a firefighter physical, and the blood work came back and the hematocrit was like in the low 20s and i'm like um this this isn't very good so i i called the firefighter i'm like can you come in and and retest this lab to see if this is normal and he wouldn't and he was mad at me for for other reasons um and and i said well I, if this is a real number i can't let you be a firefighter right now we have to figure out what's going on and he he wanted to know why and it it goes back to really understanding their job i said if you're if you're out fighting a fire today with this hematocrit in your suit and and exerting yourself, you're going to die of a heart attack probably. And not only kill yourself, but put everyone else at risk because now they have to save you too. And I said, exactly. you can't be doing that. And so my next phone call was to the fire chief. I said, this guy can't be on firefighter duties right now. So uh, it's a really cool job to to know the ins and outs of of what people are doing in their jobs and and trying to understand what is good and bad for them.
1: And and I also have to say that one of the beauties of this specialty is your patients have such appreciation for the fact that you're having a conversation with them. Yeah. Which is you're not just going in there and being a, doing transactional because... I have the ability to, to talk to someone for a while to get this, this history, which is going to take a while. And it involves not just clicking a bunch of boxes, but actually having a conversation about, about your life. Yep. Because I need to know what you were exposed to, what you are exposed to, what the transitions are. What, what did your parents do? Because that, could that have impacted your health? Mm. And, and people often aren't, they might be asked a family history, but it's only like, did your dad have heart disease? or diabetes, or cancer, it's never like, what did your dad do? Because if your dad was a shipyard worker, then I need to know that because I know you're at risk for asbestos-related diseases. And so you're getting to know somebody in such an in-depth way compared to what the realities of many other practices are in terms of time constraints.
0: What does a typical day look like for you?
1: So... I'm gonna have to go back a few years because now that I'm a department chair and uh, I, I, ha- I have more meeting time than than the normal person, but and also I'm in academic medicine, yep. so you know part of my time is spent. Doing research projects and, and researching and doing the protocols and working on getting the data and the results and and writing that stuff up and and then I run large clinical programs so it's making sure that the staff are doing the right things and uh, what results are we getting are we seeing anything unusual are we doing uh, is everything running appropriately um, what are what what fire do we have to burn out there then part of my part of my week is seeing Patients and that's the area where, in many ways, is the favorite part of the week because I get to do what I went to medical school to do and uh, put on that white coat or not. And um, as I think we're going to be doing away with white coats pretty soon, <laughs> uh, is to take care of the patients and meet with them and figure out what's going on with them. Um, and and now that I'm been doing this for a long time, I mean, part of my role is mentoring both my faculty and other doctors. And for example, let me, you know, as I was asked um, about serving on a committee, a, a state committee, and, and you know, it wasn't really my area of expertise. So I reached out to another colleague uh, who's a little more junior than me and um, suggested her. And she's like, I'm not right, but let me give you the name of someone else. But we started a cascade where we were trying to begin to mentor other people to have opportunities that will allow them to grow. So that I view that as part of my role now too.
0: What does, um, for, for you, what, what was the process of being in academics versus going out to the community and doing occupational medicine?
1: So for me, uh, you know, I've always thought that I would be more hospital based. I went to the University of Chicago which is very university academic based and mm-hmm. then I did my internal medicine at Yale which was somewhat different because at at the University of Chicago there were no private physicians. Everyone was if you were seeing patients there you were a faculty member. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Yale there were there were private physicians as well as Yale physicians seeing patients. So it was sort of a mixed model. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that I would probably stay in academic medicine. Um, I like the idea of doing clinical research. So for me, I didn't think that I would necessarily want to see patients five days a week. Um, I would want to mix it up and do some other things and to keep myself I, I'm curious. I like doing different things. I like learning new topics and areas. And and that's really what this field has allowed me to do because I've done all sorts of different um, things throughout my career. As you could hear from some of the examples I gave from lead exposure and did some projects looking at bone lead turnover to... Uh, looking at actors, to looking at firefighters, to doing all the 9-11 related stuff, to working with asbestos exposed individuals. So, uh, you know, it's been such a variety that I think um, that there's so much opportunity in occupational medicine. And then there's also the corporate side of occupational medicine that some people really enjoy, which is being a corporate medical director or working for a company and whether it's as a staff physician to deal with the health needs of a particular company. And some of that is, if it's a multinational company, you have to incorporate travel medicine and how do you make sure that standards are being applied. Some people go into government and have a role there where they're setting policy that will be used in the entire country. And, um, not just in the narrow field of, of the exposures, but just in a, a broader field of, of medicine. So I, I think um, for me, I found that academics was the right fit because it allowed me a balance between having patients, but also having some time for research. And then you also can work to do some policy and influencing along the way. What does call look like for you? I don't have call. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I haven't had call really since um, my days in uh, internal medicine. The only time we did is when we would have some abnormal lab values that would seem to rotate through around four a.m. But it's a, it's really a, a nice lifestyle specialty. It's actually the specialty with the lowest burnout, and of, of all the specialties. And I think part of that is it's varied, and also it is more of a eight to six, nine to five, uh, no or or manageable shifts, um, where you feel like you can accomplish a lot and not leave a lot hanging. It's it's very much an outpatient specialty.
0: Yeah, you talked a little bit earlier about kind of the training path to become an occupational medicine physician. What what is that? training look like as far as like, what are you doing in those three years?
1: So it's actually a two year program and it's, um, during that time, you also get a master of public health or it's equivalent. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's some MPH work. So you're doing actually studying with other <laughs> students, which is something that med students are very familiar with. You think you might get away with it, but it's a little different than it was in medical school. Um, so you're, you're taking some courses in, in the core requirements. Um, and then you begin to see patients as you would uh, with an attending. Um, in the specialty. So you you have supervised patients that you see and then you begin to work on various research projects. I um, When I first started my training program, I worked on um, a variety of projects with a, a mentor that were in an area that I ended up having nothing to do with later, but it gave me early exposure to working with pesticides, for example, and, and that wasn't something that um, I Uh, an area I specialized in later, but I was very happy to have that um, early exposure on a project of his. And what it forced me to do was learn about pesticides and what the health effects were of pesticides that I had a vague recollection of the cholinergic and the muscarinic and how that affected things, but really to understand it a little better in terms of the, uh, the health effects of pesticides and what we would measure and then you know in some projects some programs you have a thesis some projects you have a capstone project but the other thing you do do in occupational medicine which is it's i don't think it's necessarily unique but it's certainly an element which is it is such a multidisciplinary practice where you have to interact with both not just your nurses and your advanced care providers and them medical assistants, and the others on the medical care team. But you have to be well-versed in industrial hygiene, the science of measuring what kind of exposures people have, so that when you get a report, you can actually understand it in um, and work with them. If if someone might have an exposure, then you're gonna say, let's do a worksite visit so I can understand how they might be exposed. And you go with someone who knows how to do that kind of measurement. You might work with a safety engineer, who if you're in a manufacturing facility is gonna try to figure out what processes could be improved to make it a safer environment. There are occupational health nurses that you would work with, and that's in the similar fashion that you would work with a nurse in any other specialty that has specialty training. So I think it's really, you have to think about it in terms of the multidisciplinary nature, not just medical multidisciplinary, but or I think multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary. What
0: should a student be doing to potentially be competitive at some of the more competitive uh, fellowship spots for occupational medicine?
1: You know, um, I think express an interest in doing it. I think um, a lot of the most competitive programs, you need to do a primary care specialty first. So you do it as more of a fellowship, um, like I did. Um, I think um, it it provides you with a foundation that it's hard to, um, to gather without. Um, having those years so that when I saw a pulmonary patient, I felt comfortable because I'd seen so many pulmonary patients during my medicine training that when I saw, saw a pulmonary patient, I could think about what kind of exposures they might have that could have contributed to their pulmonary symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably my best advice is to do a primary care specialty and then uh, it, ideally for 3 years but if you can't do 3 years 2 years to just get more experience and then transition over to internal med- to occupational medicine i'm sorry we but you know what i i used to be a residency director and we had some amazing trainees who came from different fields like a couple folks came from radiation oncology and they just didn't feel that that was the specialty that they wanted and they transitioned over and they were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my colleagues is ER trained first and then wanted to, uh, branch out because he was seeing so many occupational injuries and illnesses, but this gave him some continuity. So he did that training first, which is also amazing, um, in terms of, Especially for folks with like the urgent care aspect of occupational medicine, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's ideal. It's not necessary. So, if you really are gung ho on occupational medicine, it's also, you know, I would say try to find uh, folks around the country who would be willing to work with you, and maybe you can do a project from afar um, while you're a medical student. And um, if you just want to do an internship and go into Ahmed, I think that. For some people, that works as well.
0: What do you wish primary care providers knew about what you're doing day in and day out as an occupational medicine physician?
1: I wish they knew that we could work together better to identify what was going on with their patients and to allow, to think about the external factors that might be affecting health, not just—they don't have a lot of time. Their days are so busy, and there's so many demands on primary care. And I can't say enough about my primary care colleagues, because they are just overwhelmed with so many different demands—from electronic medical records and tasking to um, the numbers that they need to, uh, patients that they need to see, but use us as a way of helping you so that you can better care for your patients too. So if you have that new asthmatic, your knee jerk should be, send them to an occupational physician so that they can at least take that long history and identify if we can find a reason why their asthma isn't getting better or potentially cure it. Mm. If you see someone with a new onset uh, unusual condition, and they just switched jobs. Send them to us so that we can do an inventory of what they might be newly exposed to in their workplace, that might be explaining why their their blood count is unusual compared to what it was before. Um, you know, really think of occupational medicine as support for you in a way that we can co manage a patient, and and really. My goal is never to um, is always to provide assistance and consultation to my colleagues. Um, let them; they're better at primary care than than I am because that's not what I do day in day out. But let me work on trying to figure out why they have the disease. Let them do the whats, and, and I'll go for the whys.
0: Now you mentioned taking taking inventory of what someone may be exposed to. Now, when I was in the Air Force, I had free free reign of the the. Um, the base, right? I could go to all the different shops and see what they're ordering and and look in the, the look in all of the cabinets. When when you're doing inventory, are you calling the work and saying, "Hey, I have a patient here, uh, obviously uh, with HIPAA issues. Um, can I come and and inventory the your your workplace? Is that something that happens?"
1: It does. Sometimes it's a little more challenging uh, if, a, if a patient is a member of a union, often their union can help and assist in that fashion. By law, the workplace has to provide this information. Um, but you can also... Um, work with your patient. You can find most what are called MSDSs or material Mm -hmm. safety data sheets online to try to get a sense of what they are exposed to. And then sometimes it it requires delving into what actually is in that particular substance because sometimes it'll have proprietary secrets. Well, you can call the company and they have to tell you as a healthcare provider what it actually is, if it could be causing adverse health effects yeah. um, in the care of a particular patient. So, you know, you can get a, a sense of of what they might be exposed to. It probably isn't as easy as when you were in the Air Force <laughs> and could just go over and ask, but there are ways of doing it. It's but it is time consuming. And that's that's yeah. one of the challenges we have. But again, that's part of you know, trying to identify the mystery of why someone might be sick.
0: Yeah. But even knowing for, for a future primary care doc, even knowing that you can call a workplace and they have to tell you is, is good to know.
1: Exactly. Um, they, they are obligated to tell you if there are hazards, they're supposed to be posting them. Yep. So they have to, if they're using a substance, they have to have it available to all their employees. Yeah. I mean, that's the law and it's, it's hopefully some people are doing that. Um, but you as a clinician can often be, a an impetus for making sure that there is that transparency.
0: Besides primary care providers, are there any specialists that you're working with on a regular basis? Any other specialties?
1: Well, you know, I deal with pulmonologists a lot. I deal with ENT. I deal with GI. A lot of this is because a lot of our patients were exposed at the World Trade Center and they have a whole host of medical problems. And those are some of the big ones. We also deal with mental health because some of the workplace exposures have led to mental health issues, Um, whether it's PTSD or whether it's anxiety or stress or burnout. Obviously, there's surgeons at times that we need to deal with Mm -hmm. um if there is some kind of identity abnormality i do with thoracic surgeons um a lot because we do in essence we're doing lung cancer screening for our asbestos exposed workers so if i identify a nodule or a new pleural effusion chances are they're going to be going to either my uh interventional pulmonologist or to my thoracic surgeon for further evaluation yeah
0: I assume derm, there's lots of rashes in the we workplaces do derm
1: for rashes and all that kind of stuff and orthopedics and physiatry, mm.
0: um, ergonomic for issues,
1: ergonomic issues yeah. as well. Yes. Very cool. It sounds
0: like potentially as, as an occupational medicine physician, there are lots of fun opportunities outside of a clinical workplace. Can you just mention a few things that someone could be doing?
1: Sure. I think that, you know, there's, There are roles in government, whether it's state government, federal government, local government, whether it's state health departments or state, local, the CDC, um, different places there. There are corporations that are looking to hire docs. Um, There are always tons of job opportunities available in occupational medicine, looking for talented um, individuals um, to work for a company at one of their sites or, uh, and eventually, you know, there are corporate medical director positions available. Um, there can be work dealing with advocacy organizations where you provide the medical expertise for uh, a particular topic. Um, there's the academic setting and the, there's the, the more traditional, if you would clinical setting where people are seeing patients um, as their primary job.
0: What do you know now that maybe you wish you knew before going into occupational medicine?
1: Uh, that no one knows what the field is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I when I went to Yale and and there was occupational medicine, it it just seemed like a natural fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's over the years, it's it's a challenge. to always have to describe what I do, and also realize that while the specialty has been around for a very long time, it's not very well known. And I think part of it is because we're not a direct from medical school specialty. So people choose something else first before they go into occupational medicine. Um, I think what I would like people to contemplate on is, is, again, the curiosity and thinking outside the box and thinking about what might be causing things, and not just taking it at face value and treating what's causing things.
0: What do you like the most about your job?
1: It's variety. I never know. Uh, I don't get bored. Um, it, things are always different. Even if I'm reviewing a case of the same type of asbestos related cancer, I can always learn something new about how they how they reach that point or uh how they're presenting. Um I learn something new from people every day. And then I have uh, you know phenomenal patients that I learn from every day. And I may learn from someone teaching me or giving me advice on how to cook a, a chicken cutlet, because you know that somehow comes up in conversation (laughs) to, uh, you know, learning about a job and uh, learning about, I, I feel like I could build a, a building. I don't think I'd want to live in a building (laughs) that I would build, but I know more about what materials go into construction than I think most doctors do. Mm. So, you know, I think it's given me an opportunity for a window into so many people's different lives and what they do. And, um, that's been a real, real positive of the field. What do you like the least? Uh, paperwork <laughs> and uh, dealing with uh, some of the systems that are a bit archaic, whether it may be workers' comp and 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 predominantly from the delays of, of trying to get patient care in and, and realizing that if, if people didn't hold things up, people would get better a lot sooner and they'd get back to work faster rather than denying uh, a test or a procedure, just let them have the procedure and then let them get on with things. So I think that can be frustrating. Yeah.
0: Do you see any major changes coming to the field of occupational medicine?
1: You know, I think, you know, there have been so many transformative changes in in medicine in general, where, you know, with the personalized medicine and and the uh, immunotherapies. And I, I think, One thing that's always going to be stay the same for occupational medicine is seeing how much uh, or really trying to figure out what someone does. I think that's going to be a constant. I think there will be changes in technology and and new types of jobs that people have, and we have to morph and adapt to whatever those jobs would be to understand what the risks would be.
0: If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an occupational medicine specialist?
1: I would. It's you know, it affords me uh, a great lifestyle, and it affords me an opportunity to have curiosity um, and to learn something new every day. And um, and I, you know, I'm really happy with the opportunities that I've been given. I mean, how many doctors actually get to testify in Congress? Mm. um, to advocate for patients, um, which is a highlight, you know, it's not something that I think many people get to do in general, but how many doctors get to do that kind of thing? Um, I think there are just so many positives of the field, but it's also, you know, it's a great work-life balance specialty as well.
0: Yeah. And, and as an advocate for the Air Force and being a flight surgeon as an occupational medicine specialist, like how many people get to fly an F-16? I'm like, oh, why did you do that? Because I have to know what F-16 fighter pilots go through to, to do my job.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for the medical students hearing about this specialty for the first time and what they should do if they want to check it out?
1: I think, you know, there are various, um, there's the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. I think that you'll find that people throughout the country, even if they're not, even if you don't have a program at your medical school, and chances are you won't, um, reach out to someone in your region. There's also what are called NIOSH Education and Research Centers that are located, 18 locations geographically spread in the country. Reach out to one of the medical directors in uh, of a residency program there and see if there's someone who's interested in having a medical student work with them. Uh, learn more about the field, there are many opportunities.
0: All right, so there you have it. Now you know everything about occupational medicine and hopefully we can reduce the number of students who don't know anything about occupational medicine, at least by a little bit, go share this episode with your classmates. Let them know that there is this amazing specialty out there that has tons of opportunities for life outside of medicine as well, at least life outside of clinical medicine. And Dr. Moline shared a lot of those opportunities as well. So if you're in for an adventure, if you like variety, if you like the detective work that Dr. House does on his TV show of going and really exploring uh, what could be causing someone to be ill, occupational medicine is an amazing specialty that you should check out. So I hope you go and check it out. I hope this opened your eyes to the specialty and hopefully we get some more occupational medicine physicians out there because we need more of you. So I hope this was helpful for you. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.
1: This is MedEd Media.